0: Go ahead and take the speed up your number one now, runway 273 Land Green Dot. Well, nice guys, guys. Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, sponsored by GE Aviation. My name is Hal Bryan, and I'm senior editor of print and digital content and publications here at EAA, and I'm one of your hosts and sitting there across the table. Tom Sharpentier, EAA Government Relations Director. And we're very lucky to have a guest uh, joining us in person today. It's always nice when, uh, when someone is able to come in and, and be here live instead of over the, the magic of the Internet. Uh, joining us today is Dion Deal. He's uh, president of what we call DTG Pyro, and he's going to talk to us about some things we saw at AirVenture this year. Dion, welcome. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Well, it's really, uh, really glad to have you. We sure appreciate you making the time to uh, time to come in. So let's uh, before we get to what the things we saw at AirVenture and sort of what goes into that, I want to start a little bit with your background. I mean, when, when somebody works in pyrotechnics professionally, there's um, there's an immediate assumption that we know a lot about you. Uh, you were a terrible kid, and <laughs> you were <At> always <laughs> always lighting things on fire or things like that. Is can you dispel that myth a little bit, or, or how how does somebody get into that line of work? I like to think that I
1: was a little
0: a little bit. More responsible
1: with my irresponsibility as a, <laughs> as a child. I won't I won't lie. I had uh, uh, some experimentations uh, when I was younger, which uh, kind of cultivated the spirit within me. I guess um, where I'm from, uh, I'm from originally from Georgia, and my dad was a police officer, and so uh, fireworks at the time were illegal ah. uh, in Georgia, which made the the desire to get my hands on them as a young boy uh, even more exciting. Um, my personality is the type that, you know, you remember the cap guns when you were a kid with the roll of caps? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I didn't shoot those with the gun. I, I banged them with a hammer. Uh, uh, we're talking I, the good paper ones, right? Before yes. they went to the plastic rings? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I, I can smell them right now. You know, there's <laughs> there, there's definitely some of that. There was a, a desire when I was a, a kid to, uh, you know, have fun with the, all the things that were exciting, as, as I, I imagine most boys are, you know, uh, loud noises, bright flashes, big bangs. You know, all of that stuff is exciting. And uh, so when I, uh, when I was a kid, I, you know, got my hands on bottle rockets and, uh, you know, Saturn missiles, those types of things, as everyone else. <laughs>
0: but, uh, now, is your dad going to be listening to this? Is he still with us? Uh,
1: no, he he's not with us no, anymore, but uh, no, no worries. Uh, he w- was very resistive to providing me with fireworks, as they were illegal at the <laughs> right. time. And my dad was very particular about following the law. Um, and so... Uh, you know, like everywhere else across the country, come Fourth of July or New Year's Eve, fireworks are just around. Sure, uh, even in states that are prohibitive. And uh, I snuck away, and and I think my dad, uh, when he was not working, he he wasn't concerned about what was going on in the neighborhood, and I think he knew what we were doing to some degree, maybe not <laughs> to the uh, scale, but uh, we had a lot of fun as, as a child, and, and pyro certainly started uh, very young.
0: So. I- this is uh, this is fascinating for me because it's uh, you know it's an area I'm, I'm just wildly ignorant. Is there is there a school that you go to? Is there is there a place that you go to train? Is it more of an apprenticeship sort of thing? How do you how do you go from I like these things that go boom to making it a, a career? uh somewhat of it's mostly apprenticeship based um
1: community Uh, that's changed uh quite a bit over the last decade uh and it progresses uh to where it's becoming more formalized uh education certifications i uh formerly was involved with the pgi which is the pyrotechnics guild international which is kind of uh, similar to maybe your icas um as a private group that has started up to try to regulate the community and bring safety standards and and, uh, operational standards across the board. And so PGI has developed a course. Over uh, the last maybe 15 years, I got involved with a local club and became a certified trainer uh, through the process. Well, I I should take a step back. I took the course and became certified in that. Um, But I also became a trainer and I've certified probably well over 400 500 pyrotechnicians in the region uh, as an educator with the program uh, and teaching people to do that but how i got introduced to it uh, was much more organic it wasn't really something that i targeted Uh, i I ran a normal daytime job uh, at the time period and uh, when uh, pyro was a hobby it was something that started, uh, you know, doing, uh, backyard shows for friends, but there was a love for it. So we take everything to 110% me and my, my <laughs> buddies. And so, uh, we didn't want to just do regular back backyard shows. We wanted to do grand displays and, and synchronize things and take it to a whole different level than I think just lighting one fuse at a time. And, uh, It's funny. So there was a a local or there is a local fireworks store in Green Bay, Wisconsin, um, that we would we would go to uh, and patronize. And over the years, our pooling of our monies and stuff for our shows, uh, you know, we would buy a substantial amount of fireworks every year. And we'd increase it, increase it, at least our standards. I mean, it was five, six hundred dollars one year, then twelve hundred dollars. And the more people we get involved and we'd grow the show, we kept building and uh, I actually have a background in electromechanical engineering. And uh-huh. uh, so, for me, uh, again, like I was saying earlier, I, not real exciting for me to just light one fuse at a time. I want to light the same effect in five different positions, and I want it to be perfectly synchronized. And so, uh, I built my own electronics to do this. And this is, you know, in my late teens, um, you know, when we started doing this. And, uh, You know, that desire just to kind of push the limits and and do cool and creative things uh, was a big push. And that local store actually introduced us to the Wisconsin Club because they saw that there was a passion there that was deeper than just your regular consumer.
0: But as a quick aside, um, I've been a Wisconsin resident for about 10 years now. And something I noticed very soon after moving here is that we Wisconsinites love fireworks. You bet. We will – have fireworks shows for any occasion i think it was first driven home when i saw a saint patrick's day fireworks show that was all green uh here in oshkosh shortly after i moved and there are fireworks stores all over the place it seemed to be open year round it's to me a fascinating part of the culture um it, did that have anything to do with you started in georgia how did you get to wisconsin did you hear there's a lot of fireworks here and says that's where i gotta be no uh
1: at that time, I was looking for a, a life change. I was young. I was 17 and and uh, really trying to explore, you know, my uh, individualism. And pyro wasn't really a part of the thought process at the time. Um, and that brought me up to Wisconsin, and, and, and you are correct, something that's unique to know is that, in you know, about the pyro community here in Wisconsin, it's bigger than you think it is. Uh, Wisconsin actually has the largest uh, licensed pyrotechnicians per capita than anywhere else in the United States, and a lot of that is supported by, similar to ICAS, a, a great local club here, the Wisconsin Pyrotechnic Arts Guild, that helps foster uh, of that, and so... Um, There's definitely uh, something unique and special about Wisconsin. I don't know if it's the long winters and the exciting, (laughs) let's get out and have some fun in the summer. And so uh, people take things to a whole different level, you know, when they have to unleash all that built-up excitement. Uh, But Wisconsin is definitely a very pyro-friendly state. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I'm from uh, Connecticut and don't quote me on this, but I seem to remember like a big deal when I was a kid was that sparklers finally became legal in Connecticut. That was uh, that was the big step that we took. Uh, so And you were lucky
1: cuz in Georgia when I was a kid, they didn't even allow those. No you snakes, know, those sparklers. no sparklers, even no. snakes? No. No, I mean, they were the...
0: boring. They were very <laughs> well, boring back then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean no offense if, to anybody out there who might be in the snake business, but those those are the the ridiculous little pellets you let them on fire and just ash squirts out and you do those as a kid because that's the that's one of the things your parents might let you do if they won't let you light the good right. stuff. If you're deprived of it your whole life, then it's really exciting. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. that's fair enough.
2: <laughs> so um yeah so well like I said I grew up in Connecticut. I'm kind of a late comer to uh to Air venture I've really only been um going since I've been on staff here uh for the last seven years but um can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the history of the fireworks show um, at AirVenture? I, I, you know, I I know that we we it's coordinated with the night air show these, these days. Does it does it predate that? Um, what's, what's your experience?
1: Um, it was always a f- the night air show. I believe was introduced or reintroduced in 2010 here uh, in Oshkosh, and it was immediate uh, that we started doing fireworks at that time. Um, I had pursued, you know, we're from Green Bay, Wisconsin, so we're only an hour away from Oshkosh. And and, uh, I knew about Air Adventure. I actually knew about Air Adventure since I was a kid uh, back in Georgia. My dad talked about it quite a bit. Oh, really? And yeah, and it's, oh my gosh, I should say this. It's so surprising how many people even locally here have not been uh to air venture uh when i was hearing about it back in georgia a thousand miles away um, it
0: is it it has a, a worldwide draw but it's yeah. as you said it is it is amazing i think if you have any interest in aviation then you can say air venture or more more likely you can say oshkosh right to any aviation group anywhere in the world they know what you're talking about but but sometimes you do have people right here in the in the backyard who are obviously very aware of it but People don't often think, you know, like a like a tourist in their own hometown. They they sure. oftentimes miss the things that happen right there. Similar to the snakes, you know, availability. Uh, I think if it's available, yeah. sometimes you may say
1: I'll get to that, or, or you know, you'll push it off to a, an opportune time. Um, but uh, you know, going back, I, I had pursued EA for about maybe five years, uh, trying to get my foot in the door to talk about what I've had a vision for. Uh, for bringing fireworks into the night air show and it was it was difficult uh, at the time and just by uh, a good connection. There was a gentleman that used to work for EAA, I think in the marketing division named Matt Miller. And I worked with Matt on other programs, uh, you know, that he was doing Oshkosh Irish Fest, which hopefully might've been the one you saw. I I think it was, yeah, Um, it would have been. Yeah. I remember Matt being very involved in those. Doing the fireworks for that. And he ended up uh, connecting me up with Tom Poperezny and Joe Schumacher. Uh, at the time, Joe Schumacher was the air director. And we had a conversation and, uh, they had reasonable concerns uh, about bringing, introducing fireworks into an airspace. It's it's a very difficult uh, thing to accomplish, and we were setting new standards to work within the airshow box, not doing a fireworks show outside of the airshow box. And so a lot of new ground kind of had to be broken, and a lot of trust had to be built uh, between us and, and EA organization to attempt that for the first time in 2010. Um, and at that time, they only did one night air show. Um, in fact I don't think they switched to two night air shows uh, until 2012 that sounds yeah. about right sounds yeah when right, we added yeah. the Wednesday show yeah right and and through the process through building of trust and discovering uh, different opportunities uh, working with uh, Dennis Dunbar and As well, since he's taken over uh, after Joe, Um, we've discovered new opportunities where we can introduce pyrotechnics into the various events of the night air show, not just a culminating, uh, you know, fireworks finale, but also in other aspects that you have seen maybe this year with Red Line, Twin Tigers, uh, Ghost Rider, uh we did some performances during those times also during the daytime we also did pyrotechnics for avior um so was a really really exciting and busy year going from that from just a nighttime display to to uh, all the different facets that we've kind of got our hands in now
2: yeah it does really seem like in the last couple of years we've um you guys have done an awesome job starting to integrate um, the fireworks with the performances, rather than just kind of have you know a, a show with a fireworks display at the end.
1: Yes, yeah. yes. For us, we we like to consider ourselves partners in the event. Um, our job isn't to you know be a single actor on a stage, if you will, and perform and and get credit for that performance. Uh, this is our backyard and this is a world-class event. And that's huge in and of itself. And EAA is a very special event. Um, there's so many things that parallel with fireworks and with aviation and the community is, is uh, from an outsider, it's it, it's really difficult to package up how incredibly special and beautiful the, the EAA community is. It's, it's a really powerful thing. And to be a part of that is is amazing. I don't know how... Anybody uh, who is a part of it is not inspired. And so we try to do anything we can to bring contributions to the table to help celebrate the event at the level that, uh, you know, we feel the bar is set by its volunteers and and just the amazing organization, you know, that it is.
0: So let's get uh, a little bit more into into the details of what – maybe start with the start with the planning like when do you when are you seriously starting to sketch out exactly what you're going to do for the next air venture um i've started uh for next year already um
1: and i'm i you know even in my off hours I'm, i'm always working on something i you know i'm an artist first and uh you know, when I listen to music, for example, as you know, our shows are scripted to music. Right. Um, I'm visualizing those designs and, and going through them in my head, uh, whether I can, I, I want to or not. It just happens as a natural flow. Uh, just anytime I'm listening to music, and I try to find things that seed with me that capture me um to kind of push that creative element because there's a difference between someone handing you a song and saying hey can you do a fireworks show to this and you're not invested in it to where you have a period of time where you listen to a bunch of music and and you get naturally invested in it because the song moves you right. and uh so i've i've already started that process and dennis and i have gone back and forth kind of hashing out some
0: some concepts for next year um now, as as a quick aside, though, you're talking about doing sort of music you choose versus music you don't. Um, I have, uh, outside of uh, Irish Fest way back when and the Night Air show, I have seen your work in one other venue recently, and that was at Lambeau Field during the Paul McCartney concert. Oh yes, um, yes. If, when, if as you recall, I was sending you Facebook messages, uh, demanding that you find some need for my help so that I could come backstage and hang around with you somewhere and. And I just didn't have anything to offer. <laughs> I, could light, I got a lighter. I, you know, I could do something to help with this. But anyway, um, so that must have been a, a pretty spectacular thing. Is that fairly typical for an, a, a touring artist like that to reach out to sort of the local pyrotechnicians or that have some relationship with the venue?
1: It is. It is. Um, you know, and I, let me know if I get too technical on it. But uh, the United States is unique, uh, being that we are an individual-wise state-operated control. Uh, and I didn't frame that up correctly, but regulations for fireworks and how they're managed or how they're controlled uh, vary state by state. And so uh, for me, for example, I'm an international provider. Uh, I haven't done a whole lot of international work, but I do go outside of the United States, but I do cover all 50 states. I have to depend on partners uh, in all 50 states because the regulations are so variable that it, it helps to have a local that can help work you through uh the different regulatory affairs because we have one federal agency that that manages the fireworks one federal agency that manages our transportation a separate federal agency that regulates the safety aspects of it uh but then every state is different some states have a state process or permit uh that you have to go through and in, in a licensure uh protocol and some some do not some states require the county and the city to uh, sign off on permits for a display, and, and some do not. It, it really kind of varies. And so having a liaison locally uh, does help. And um, the Paul McCartney event, for example, we've established relationships with a lot of people. Uh, players in the game, I guess, uh, for touring. And so as a local, uh, I like to think that we, we serve them well and, and, uh, we've built some great relationships that they reach out to us when they come, come to the area. We're very familiar with Lambeau field and, and also we know the pyro crew, uh, that travels with, with Paul McCartney. Um, shaky, for example, has uh, been with Paul McCartney for 30 years and he, he's a, he's a British guy with a very strong <laughs> accent could and there visits. possibly
0: be a better name for a pyrotechnician <laughs> <Right>. than, than <laughs> yes. Shaky? Yes. yes. Maybe Bernie or, <laughs> right. you know, right. one eye, but I don't know. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he's got, a,
1: he's got a unique name, really awesome fella, and he came to us with a vision, and, and uh, I
0: like to think we, we delivered quite well. It was well-received, and, and that felt great. Oh, it's just somebody was another random person in the audience, I can tell you it was spectacular. Uh, so, uh, steering back to air venture a bit, and and but maybe this is the question applies again from a from a total layperson's perspective. When you've got a display in mind, you want a particular color and shape and altitude. What goes into actually manufacturing a a shell or whatever the individual thing is you're going to fire to make that happen? Sure, sure. Um, so, a lot of our effects. It-
1: you know, just to be transparent, a lot of our effects are not manufactured by us. They're purchased. Um, we used to do, uh, and I speak of this also, and I have a sister company I work with out of Green Bay uh, that's been in the business for 70 years. Um, and uh, we work very close in hands. And, and with that company, we used to be much more into manufacturing of our own shells, um, where it took up maybe 20, 30% at one time, uh, whereas now it's, unfortunately, it's less than 5 percent uh, is manufactured and that has to do with the economic landscape uh, of the United States and the competitive market of China, for example, China uh, produces uh, you know probably 95% of the world's fireworks. Um, and so, uh, and it's made it very difficult for fireworks companies locally in the U S to be competitive, uh, in their manufacturing process. But, uh, when it comes to our shell selection, I'm very particular about the shells I do choose, uh, for the program. And, and, For example, where it's maybe more noticeable is in a show where the the tempo drops or it's more of a a slower piece or something that. You don't want big booming salutes in the sky, you know what I mean, that are going to take away from that kind of emotional dip. Um, And so I will pick effects that are more longer duration – uh, in the sky, uh, quieter, uh, when they break and don't have a bunch of residual effects of, and whistles and things like that. You don't want to have Adele come on and sing a slow piece and then a bunch of whistles and, and booms going off. It just won't, it won't make sense. And so selection is, is, a uh, something I put a lot of attention to and, and color matching and pairing, uh, as well. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's part of the fun in the process is, is picking out a variety of effects, uh, that we use in the program is, is obviously something I truly enjoy.
2: So you talk about, uh, ch- choreographing the, uh, the, the show and yeah, obviously picking out stuff that makes sense with the music and and stuff that flows with the music. Um, I know a lot, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that a lot of this happens in your head. Do you, can you practice? Can you rehearse? I mean, it's, you know, do you have like a secret skunk works location you know, where you're just playing music and shooting off fireworks? I mean, <laughs> and, and if I, so, are we welcome there? <laughs> right. That's... Right. I wish
1: I, 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 wish we had an area 51. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, fireworks are very expensive, um, you know, uh, piece of art. Um, and so a lot of it comes from experience in shows and seeing what you're shooting over a variety of shows. There is uh, visual design software out there that helps give visual aid. and uh, We do not actually have it yet. Uh, this year we are hoping to upgrade to it. Uh, but everything that I do design is is blind, um, basing solely off of the experience that I have with the effects that I've used in the countless shows that I've, I've done to date. And um, when I sit down to actually script up the show, not only is the software that i use um you know placing it on cues and and boards for us to Plug them into right to terminate them into. It's also back timing. So, uh, for example, a six-inch shell that goes up in the sky is going to take about 5.8 seconds from the e-match triggering it, lighting it off, and sending it out of the mortar and up into the sky to reach apogee. So it has to back time. If I want this chrysanthemum to to blow up in the sky right on this, you know, symbol uh, hit, you know, for example. I've got to figure out that back time in the software so that it it lights it beforehand and, and puts it to apogee at the right time. And so, some of that is kind of a, you know, the fun and exciting challenge. some of it can be very monotonous uh, when you're programming up, say, 30 cues in less than 10 seconds. Um, and uh, you know, my only visualization is a pen and paper with you know on graph paper. And I'll set my angles and, and I'll figure things out and, and calculate it based off of uh, common numerical values that, that we've come to know just from experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that has always amazed me from, uh, from your shows that you do during your adventure is just how, I mean, you know, you're, you're shooting off fireworks basically on beat. Um, sometimes. Right. Um,
1: when it's not, it's not our fault. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I blame Dennis. Uh, right. that it's, happens. De- it's definitely Dennis's yeah, fault. It seems, yes. seems
2: easy. One <laughs> thing I was curious about is, um, do you, do you have to account for the distance between the shell, um, going off and the audience you um, bet. As, far, as far as the sound goes?
1: You bet. So, uh, NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association, uh, sets regulatory affairs for fire code, right? So even your sprinklers in your buildings, they also regulate safety for fireworks. And they have a protocol that requires for every inch in diameter of the shell size, uh, it's 75 feet spacing Mm -hmm. from uh, any, you know, structures or people. Uh, So we we keep in our inventory up to 16-inch diameter shells. And so that's... NFPA code is 1,200 feet, um, but we like to err on the side of caution and margin and also to simplify it for our guys in the field. So we do 100 feet per inch. And so a 16-inch shell is going to require 1,600 feet instead of 1,200 feet. Um, and to give you an example on how that impacts us here at, at Air Venture, with the positions and placements we have in the field, we have five primary trailers and then 10 front positions as we call them. So a total of 15 positions we spread out in the field. Um, we could from the primary location, shoot up to eight inch diameter shells, but we do not do that. We We stick with six inch uh, shells as our cap limit. And a lot of that is is truly, it's unnecessary. Although the bigger the shell, the more impactful, the more wonderful, you know, the effects uh, when you have larger shells. Uh, a, they're a lot more costly. Uh, and B, we can fill the sky, in, in the patterns we do without having to push those limits and we allow ourselves extra buffer for safety.
0: So Tom, I think you might've been asking, or if you weren't, it's in a question I'm really interested to find out, and that is when you're talking about choreographing to music and you're talking about uh, an actual delay in, you know, I, I, I see the firework if I'm far enough away, the sound is, comes a little bit late. Yes. Um, are you taking any of that into account when you're worrying about the, the choreography? Oh yes. Um, so I calculate a primary,
1: section of the audience and I target it which is show center uh, and it's about a hundred feet out from the speakers because light does travel faster than sound and the experience is different for everyone uh, wherever they are positioned in the audience and the audience here is very wide uh, and stretched down the the line for example if you're sitting way down south of the runway looking up at the fireworks they're not going to look symmetrical the fireworks that are closest to you are gonna look bigger and it's gonna look almost at a skew of an angle. Um, And so I think the human mind can process that You're, you're you're at an angle and they know that and they can still see the symmetry, but it doesn't visually look, if you look at a camera's angle from that perspective, it looks very different than from show center visually. But audibly, you also have some of the same struggles. If the further you move back from the sound source, the more delayed the sound source is going to get to you. For example, a lot of my guys that are in the field, they are about 1,200 feet in the opposite direction of the speakers. The sound is completely off <laughs> for them. When it arrives to them, they see everything going off instantaneously visually, but audibly nothing lines up. It's it's almost up to, I think, a second, 1.7 seconds delayed wow. audio um, because I think you get one millisecond per 60 feet I believe is is about this. And I have all these calculations, but it is something that I figure out and you can only aim for the best case scenario of the audience at Show Center. So for those that are listening, the best place to sit is Show Center.
0: So. <laughs> well, it's interesting to point out the sort of the width of the audience. And we've got a big long flight line and you know, even at the night air show, if, uh, if people just sort of bunch in a little bit, it is, it is wide. But I always get the sense too that uh, uh, your show itself is very much on the seems like it's very much on the wide side versus something in a stadium yes, where you've got everything sort of coming out of a central location spread out. Am, am I correct in that assumption that it feels like it's 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 huge and it's full, but it just mm-hmm. seems like it's a wider show than a typical fireworks show?
1: Correct. It's. Uh to be honest with you, it's one of the most perfect canvases that any pyro could ask for. Um, and because of that width, it allows us to do so. A lot of times you'll see us break multiple shells at the same time, uh, three and four, to spread down that width. Um, and that's that's a beautiful thing, versus you know, taking one eight-inch shell, I can take two five-inch or two four-inch, and I can fill the sky, and the impact on the viewer is, is sometimes much more significant, depending on what you're going for. and. I love the wide open view. It gives us a lot of options of diversity. Uh, if it was all narrow from a single site, we wouldn't have as many dynamics in the display to keep it creative and fresh and, and change pace and, and things like that that we do because it is wide. And, and those front positions I was talking about, the 10 front positions, that's where the intricate comet sequence come from, the minds and stuff from the front, brings it up front to the audience closer to a more intimate feel. And uh, the impact of that is, I like to think, is quite impressive. The crowd generally responds to those shots, you know, uh, quite a bit. And they're done in volumes. So we're shooting 10 positions. I may shoot th- three shots from each position on the same cue. So there's 30 shots that are all going off right at that moment. Um, like, for example, when we did Guns N' Roses, um, Welcome to the Jungle, When uh, I won't replicate it because my voice won't work, but when Axel screams (laughs) and he goes, Yeah, you know what I mean? I shot off a thousand whistles from each location right at that moment. Yes. Uh, In a multi shot in four seconds uh, from each location. And it scared the. The poo out of people, you know what I mean. But uh, it was, it was, it's hilarious and exciting to watch because you want to kind of catch people off guard sometimes to keep it exciting and entertaining, and at the same time, the wow factor is is there. And so those
0: fronts give us that opportunity. So the wide, the canvas here is is beautiful. That's. Uh, that's just. A, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still imagining, remembering back to Guns and Roses. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, a little bit ago, and, and you're tossing out these great terms of your comets and mines and shells and things like this. But you also mentioned the e-match. Is that something that's roughly akin, but way more impressive than the electronic igniters we used in model rockets as a kid?
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, it's funny you use that as an example. It's it's very close um e-match is regulated and, and you can only buy it with a license they have some intermediary devices that are similar to the igniters that you have on model rockets but i like to think that what sparked me uh into uh oh, pun intended yes okay. yes uh <laughs> we'll into, into fireworks was was my father's introduction to model rocketry um i I used to build model rockets well over six feet tall, you know, when I was a kid, and and my dad was very engaged in that process. But there was a time period where it it lost its excitement for me. Uh, You know, we weren't involved in a local club, which might have taken it to another level, uh, you know, getting into liquid fuel compositions or custom fuel. But um, I started my pyro experimentation actually taking those igniters and Building my own concoctions when I was when I was a kid, back when the laws were a little more loose right. about these types of things. I don't recommend people do that today, um, but I, I did dumb things with some level of intelligence and safety in mind uh, using those igniters. So it's it's funny you mention that. But our, our igniters are it's very similar. Uh, we call them e-match. Um, it has a little bit more pyrogen. On the end of the on the end of the match head, and they're one-time use only. So uh, for each shell, each effect that you see us shoot off, we have to have an e-match that integrates that shell uh, into our electronics
0: system. And uh, how many of these would you go through in an air venture? In a single airventure performance, any oh. rough ideas of numbers? I believe. Well, this year,
1: I believe we used up. Uh, we do other fusing techniques, and oh, not all okay. shots are tied to an individual uh, e-match. But um, I believe this year that we used about sixteen hundred e-matches per display. Wow. Um, but there was a considerable amount more effects. We we had, uh, you know, again fusing multi-shot effects, things like that that we have. We did just under about 4,000 individual effects for the display that you saw uh, wow. on Wednesday night and Saturday night.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you, you, um, you brought that up, Hal, because I was um, watching a video a little while ago about how uh, rockets, you know, full-size space rockets are right. lit, um, which is something you don't really think about that much, but the Russians essentially just stick a 2x4 with an igniter up in the nozzle, uh, you know and then for that you know for the big uh soyuz rocket uh, like 16 of those have to go off at, at at the same time in order for the rocket to uh to go off the pad Really. Yep.
0: Wow. Oh, that's The that's,
1: Russians are brave
0: brave are guys. Brave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh and, and I I don't mean to stereotype but they 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 have a they have a tradition of of simpler solutions. Yep, that, sure. That just a giant match right exactly (laughs) you know just put a match in there and and off we go uh is does DTG have a space program in the works (laughs) uh, I I'm always looking for new ways to to capitalize on
1: higher altimeters yeah or
2: (laughs) altitudes (laughs) Um, so you, you talked a little bit about uh, setting up the uh, um, the show. Do, do you? When do you actually do that? Uh, are are you able to set up during the daytime, or does the daytime air show box get in the way of that?
1: Yes, um, and yes. Um, <laughs> EAA again in air shows. We've done other air shows, but EAA is even more unique and complex because of the volume of traffic that you have here in, in the space. Um, we do set up, uh, we generally get on site on Monday, even though our first show isn't until Wednesday. Um, And what we do to accommodate an active airport and air show box like we have here at EAA is we mobile mount everything. Uh, We have uh, semi-trucks and trailers that we rent specifically for the event that we build out onto so that what we can do... um, before the show is in a very short period of time, roll out these thousand plus mortars that we need to shoot off these fireworks into position, have all the angles already be set. Um, and and so we do those build outs, um, some before we get onto site, we'll, we'll pre-build out some of the trailers and some of the trailers, we'll just bring down the equipment and we'll build them once we get on location. And um, that's how we're able to do it. And generally we're, uh, once all of the shells are dropped, we can't drop the shells into the mortars until we are on site and generally on show day um, is when we do that. And so uh, that requires a, a very chore- choreographed kind of effort. And same thing once we roll the field. A lot of times it's kind of a parade when when the air boss gives us permission to roll the field. You'll see... Uh, about a dozen trucks that come down kind of in a parade down uh, the runway uh, and get out into position. You'll see me out in the, out there uh, prior to the night air show, in between the daytime show and the, and the night air show, directing all of these trucks into position. Um, and they, they drop them. They stabilize them. They will then uh, wire up the, the primary bus lines, if you will, to our electronics that we have out in the field. We'll do some comm tests uh, all during that time period prepping for the night show and we can generally get it ready to rock and roll uh in about an hour with the way that we we have set it up which is i like to think was pretty innovative when we started it back in 2010 uh in the air show space and, and we had to prove that uh with eaa as, as a working process of well how are we we can't have you guys out in the field with all of this stuff setting up was one of their concerns um and so uh we got creative and, and came up with a process that worked for EA and for the environment that it is uh, so that we could do it in a very short window of time um, and get everything good to go.
2: Yeah, that, that's actually, you brought up a good point. That I forgot that we do we do arrivals and departures between the daytime show and the nighttime show, so you can't be setting up then. Because right. we don't even have a box for that. Correct. So, yeah.
0: So uh, you say that you're renting or leasing, uh, leasing these trucks is – Is it just a... Does anybody ever like raise an eyebrow when they when they see either the name of the business or saying, "Hey, I need some semis, and don't worry, they're just going to be full to overflowing with explosives." Is that ever a concern? I,
1: you know, I think one of our uh, one of our sources for trailers actually likes the idea because he has, his trailers are a little bit older. <laughs> I, you know we we have to be insured, right? So, so. <laughs> oh, it's your insurance, yeah. Anyway. Um, but the you know Say no the, more.
0: You want plausible denial. <laughs> ability <laughs> right <laughs> right goes wrong.
1: Um, but uh, we 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 have to be honest with our our providers right and they know what we do um, and uh, they're comfortable with it we the way we set it up because we also don't want to set fire to uh, you know a thousand dollar 20,000 trailer right sure uh, and we have that times five locations so we we don't want to do that so we we employ protocols to to deal with that and that's that's a, a part of a totally more in-depth process that's not quite as exciting as putting the fireworks in the sky but um, they're they're comfortable with it
0: and we we keep those going so okay. and how big is your uh, how big is your crew that you bring okay. how many people do do need to be working under you to get this all to happen for one of our performances uh, So if we take out the um, done
1: deal effect that we did this year. Which we're coming um, up to soon. Yes. Our normal display that we do here is about 25 uh, people that we have involved that that put their hands on the project. From packing the the product uh, after I've selected it all out, uh, packing it up and and prepping it to pulling equipment to uh, logistics of getting everything down here. Uh, And then also being on site to to terminate the shells and and support the show. Uh, About 25 people consistently. Uh, With the done deal effect, we needed about an additional dozen people to to support that uh, in and of itself. So this year we exceeded over 30, 35 people.
0: Now, when you're talking about the done deal, Dennis Dunbar, Dion Deal. Yes, sir. The done deal, a great name. Should be trademarked. Um, <laughs> that was well, Dennis's uh, phrase he coined. It was our, that was
1: our top it's, secret, it's, uh, you know, skunkworks right. label.
0: So what you're saying is uh, uh, you did uh, all of the work, created something that, that we need to describe here for those that weren't here, but something that I have never, ever seen before in my life, something, something amazing. And then Dennis came along and put his name on half of it. Is, yes. that, uh, is that a fair assessment? <laughs> right.
1: Okay. right. Well, it takes, you know, to, to do something like that is, it was new and exciting and hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. And then we're choosing to showcase it here, uh, if you will, at Air Adventure in a very technically complex environment. Um Dennis had to instill a lot of trust, and oh, so sure. did the Oshkosh Fire Department, which I must say, the Oshkosh Fire Department is a first-class fire department. And we are lucky here uh, for us, and I think for AirVenture, I just have to give them that shout out because uh, they were significant in us making that possible.
0: Well, that's great to hear. Obviously, we've got a, a good, strong, close relationship with all of our first responders and a number of other local agencies. We we couldn't do the event without them, and of course, I'm just giving Dennis a little bit of a hard time because he's not <laughs> in the room to defend himself. True. but <clears throat> So the done deal. Um, I would describe it as like the top of a mushroom cloud, like a giant fireball. That I, I, I just you run out of words. Like I said, I have honestly never seen anything like it in person. I never want to see it outside of an entertainment venue. <laughs> sure, <laughs> certainly. Um, but it was a it was a roiling ball of fire that somehow stayed intact for far longer than it looked like should have been possible. Mm-hmm. and then just for the heck of it you were shooting fireworks up into it yes um how did this <laughs> what i just pick a word and try to answer a question around it i mean i was utterly flabbergasted by this thing when i saw it what well can, and, what, I, I imagine there's some proprietary info but what can you tell us about how you pulled that off sure sure uh
1: an awesome you know, we were hoping for that response uh, from a lot of folks. And, and uh, us in the pyro community, we see a lot of things in, with pyrotechnics that the public doesn't see very frequently and, um, or, or at all. And we, you know, as a special effects company as well as a pyrotechnics company, we, we dabble into some of the fringe Areas of of pyrotechnic sciences, and uh, with the done deal to give you to give you some metrics there, that was 861 gallons of gasoline uh, that we shot up, and the apogee, the approximate apogee of the fireball rising up, igniting, and uh, you know getting to apogee was about maybe 375 feet. In the air? Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, those salutes that we shoot, what, what you saw, the, some people, people have called them tracers, uh, that we shot up into the, the rising fireball, uh, those reached 350, 375 feet. And if you watch the video, even though they're shot at a slight angle, the fireball exceeded the height of those when it reached its full, full turn. Right.
0: Uh, and do you have an idea how big the fireball itself was? So if it's up there at 350,
1: 375? My guess my guess is is the width uh someone else had asked me this and i hadn't uh, trying to find an appropriate image where i can take a reference of the width uh is a bit of a challenge um but i'll figure it out and and my guesstimation i'm going to say it was easily 450 475 feet wide at least um just by guessing it And, and how that works so this is this is something that's been a bit of a challenge in the pyrotechnic community um for people to accomplish and we've done it on on significantly smaller scales before Uh, one of the pyro guys that that we brought they they call themselves the fireball dudes so uh, you know we we love these guys is you know bill corbett scott smith bill bill has perfected it in yeah (laughs) bill has perfected it in extreme size i i think i've done maybe 250 gallons prior to that before but we wanted to really push the envelope because one had been done for 666 gallons at a, at an, a pyrotechnic event is that like a, a black sabbath show or something <laughs> right. Was right it was it, was it was pretty much a you know i don't know if you remember back here in appleton they used to have the pgi would come here um, i think the last one was 2014 uh that it was here in appleton uh which is a, a like EAA is to aviation, it's like a con- pyrotechnicians convention, okay. right? And it's pretty exclusive to pyrotechnicians uh, throughout the week, even though they open up some of the night shows for the public. And uh, they had shot one, Bill did that one, and I said, Bill, hey, we want to push the envelopes at EAA, but we want to do so safely, and so uh, I really want you to be here uh, to help us with that. And uh you know, traditionally, we call them ghost mines, right, when they're much, much smaller. Um, we, you know, shoot them out of large steel tubes. Um, the same tubes that we shoot out a 12-inch shell, uh, we'll use those steel tubes to uh, fire these out, the gasoline mixture. Um, and there's a ratio, and there's a, there's a really precise science to the charge that is lifting them, Um You don't want to, you want to set the charge. It's mostly black powder, but you want to set it in a way uh, that it's not punching through too fast because it doesn't allow the gasoline to rise out and particulate. You won't ignite gasoline if it stays in its liquid form. So you need to, you need to particulate it, atomize it in the sky. And this is where a lot of people have, have struggled in development on this scale is they'll punch through it or they won't send enough out and they'll just kind of, you know, blob over the. Over the tube, or a lot of it, a lot of the residual fuel will come back to the ground and, and start fires. And so we've exercised it and vetted it over many, many years, along with probably another 200 pyrotechnicians across this country, all trying to edge up a little bit further to try to achieve the result that you saw here on Wednesday and Saturday night. And being that it was new, you know, for any public event on uh, like what we did here at EAA, we had to model it out Uh, for our sanity. We had to model it out on explosives modeling software so that we knew that the intervals of distance from the effect were going to be safe because at 600 feet you're going to get second degree burns, right? And so uh, it's just an intense amount of heat and that's one of the exciting factors is that heat is is a part of the experience, right? When the wall of fire goes or, or the done deal goes. Uh, You get the audible audible boom, right? You get the visual effect, and now you also have that feel of that heat that that comes to you and kind of just helps seal the deal of the impact of what's happening. And uh, the crowd absolutely loves it. And we want to increase that experience, get it close but not too close, and make sure that we're keeping people safe and also allow margin for error in case the wind direction changes or or things of that nature.
0: So in in the the case of the the done deal is – you've got this tremendous amount of of gasoline that needs to be elevated. Is that in a single container? Is that in a single push to get all of that? Are there multiple things firing off to get that much gasoline atomized at just the right? Yes,
1: we had, had, I think, 50 mortar tubes out in the field uh, that all fired at the same time. And our 12-inch mortars, I think they hold 32 gallons each um when we were shooting them and some we had some eight inch we we kind of shaped them in a way so that we concentrate a lot more of the volume towards the center
0: sure.
1: um and if you notice when you watch the fireball in the videos it, it comes shooting out but it also rolls in um and that's what's keeping it alive longer right. than than most people are used to because gasoline in and of itself is a flashing fuel it doesn't have a large amount of burn time um Effects in the past, we would integrate diesel uh, or or methanol to give it more duration or more visual effects. And there's a ton of different things you can do with fire, by the way, uh, to create different. Visual <laughs> None of which you should try at home. <laughs> uh, true, true. Um, but in this regard, the volume we we send it up so that it's not fully atomizing all all at once, and it's it's opening itself up as it's reaching in the sky. And that's that's a practice that that takes time to develop and and achieve what you what you saw. And I don't know if you you know saw it in person or if you just watched it in the video you're missing part of that experience when you're watching in a video because you don't feel the heat right? right but you also don't hear the sound and when we're sending the salutes up into the fireball that's they have no other purpose other than exciting visual thunderous boom right but that fireball is rolling from the inside out all the fuel is atomizing as it's pushing out you'll hear if you're, you know, in the front line of the crowd, you'll hear the oxygen being sucked out of the air, because it's at such mass, it's like a noise. And and when those salutes go up into the fireball, you can hear the pitch change, and it creates kind of an echoey, thunderous effect in that in that uh, vacuum chamber. It's it's really hard, you know, because you would think that there's no sound in a vacuum, right. um, but it's not a obviously a sealed vacuum chamber. But it does create a, a very unique. Effect uh, that I don't have the scientific words to describe exactly what's going on, but it, it it it's definitely part of the experience that is missed by just watching the video.
0: It's kind of like sitting down having a conversation with Thor, you know. <laughs> so he's like controlling the elements, and well, first we suck the oxygen out of the air, and then we create a gigantic ball of fire that's hundreds of feet across. As... I wish I looked like Thor. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: no, but it really is interesting, uh, you know, to to talk to you, Dion, because you know when you're you know really any kind of um any kind of performance or any kind of uh, of a technical skill i mean it's just amazing to just sit down and talk to a master of it for a while and, to, and you know the the um the science behind it and the um you know everything that goes into it so it, it's really amazing
1: well i do love what i do yeah. um and I, I hope that it shows in my work and also my team uh you know with the t- the team of people that i have is just uh Uh, it takes a lot of hard, you know, pyrotechnics is a lot of hard work. It takes days, weeks, hours, uh, in the sun and mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff to set up the shows that we do. And it requires a lot of strength and you beat up your body and all that stuff to deliver these types of events. You have to love it. It's not one that's going to make you wealthy. It's one that's going to make you proud. Um, (laughs) and to there's nothing like I, I've done shows all over and of varying scales for varying artists like you mentioned Paul McCartney or, or some others um, there's nothing like the experience here at, at EAA. it's it's so indescribable the, from the guys setting up out in the field when you know skip Stewart is swooping down you know 10 feet above their air or the <laughs> you know the Thunderbirds or the Harrier is taking off you know within distance or, or Chris Darnell is running shockwave within feet at a 300 miles an hour right in front of them the experience for them, as well, is it, 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 you can't match it. And uh, it's a lifetime experience also for the pyro crews, not just the spectators, uh, every year that we're here at EA.
0: So as we get uh, get close to the end here, um, just a quick question. So you mentioned how much gas goes into the, uh, the done Deal, the fireballs. And I know we've, we've talked about it in other venues, but about how many gallons of gas would go into the wall of fire?
1: The wall of fire, I want to say, okay, so... I want to say he's up there uh, pretty close to about a 1000 gallons. Okay. Unless that was the 2000 foot wall. Tor Tor does the does a wall of fire uh, with us here uh, oh, for the program. Okay, they're part of uh, part of the Pyro. Yeah, there. yeah. So uh, Gordon and those guys I've worked with them on other air shows yeah. in here locally and and they've mastered The wall of fire. It is something that, that, uh, you know, we do, and we have a different process uh, in how we do it, but those guys just, they kick butt with it every single year, and I I, I did. I will say, I felt kind of bad this year because you know, the fireball, the Dundeele effect was like right. the rock star of this show. And we kind of yeah. knew that. And the wall fire got kind of, you know, trumped a little bit because I had it earlier on in the program. Um, but that also made it a surprise, too. It did. Which is and that's what we wanted really to do. And that, that fire song, uh, it was a, a song um, called BA55 by Switchfoot. And it has all the elements of fire as it's talking through it. And uh, we wanted to make obviously the fire to be a significant part of the presentation and the event. So we even shot lamparies in the air, which uh, are the, they're like salutes, but they're fireballs that are isolated in the sky. Oh, Instead sure. of seeing them rise, you, you just see them break in the sky. Um, and, and so we were trying to showcase a lot of the flame techniques um, and bring it all together in one, you know, just awesome and powerful force. And I, I, I think it, I think it was, it was well received it, you know people were very surprised the wall of fire went then we did a little finale and then we had the fireball uh at the end i i think we did a good job to to surprise folks and
0: and uh deliver something new and fresh i, I think it's safe to uh to call that very much an understatement uh now quickly before we go um i'm going to give you an idea we'll have to figure out how our names go together like the you know the I, if it's on how nothing really works <laughs> nothing works as well as done deal but we've got a year to work on that next year at the end of the day air show and just just picture this and be ready a giant wall of snakes a wall of snakes a wall of snakes <laughs> can you big, imagine huge that snakes. big like you know like foot wide just swirling black snakes everywhere i i would love to do that i wouldn't want to clean it up but I'd love to do it. <laughs> I, uh, Tom and Ty have volunteered actually to clean it up, just just I, so that they can be a part of this. Uh, they look very this excited. situation. Yeah, they look really, really <laughs> thrilled, don't they? Well, <clears throat> if it weren't for bad ideas, I'd have no ideas at all. I promise you that. <laughs> so, Dion, thank you so much uh, for taking some time to join us. This has really been fascinating. It's, it's. I, I echo what Tom said about how uh, gratifying it is to talk to somebody whose whose work we've enjoyed, but you know, certainly have very little if, if any expertise on our own and to talk to somebody who uh it, i am happy to say is is a, a master of it and uh, we love what you what you bring to air venture uh, every year and um to this day I, i've never seen anything like it um my only my only lingering question is how in the world are you going to outdo it next year and well uh is an incredible opportunity and and uh we we've,
1: we've got a lot of ideas Uh, that our plan we'll we'll top it we'll top it (laughs) next year um we've got uh some things that we're working through i won't i won't uh you know let you know about our skunk works uh (laughs) that we're doing but um we're gonna have some fun next year and uh I, i promise you that it will be equally as entertaining or exciting wow
0: well, I think it's safe to say we're all looking forward to it. So, Dion, thanks again for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate having you, you on the show. Thanks, as always, to everybody out there who takes the time to write us a review on iTunes or Google Play or any of the other uh, other avenues where you consume this podcast. Uh, you can also uh, always uh, send us an email, feedback at ea.org, or leave comments on the uh, the blog where the podcast episodes go live. That's inspired at ea.org. So please keep that feedback coming. We could not and would not be doing this uh, without your ongoing uh, support and encouragement. And with that, we look forward to catching up to you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.